0: Welcome to Ink's The Founder's Project with Alexa von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVast, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa von Tobel. And this week, I am really excited about our guest. And I want you to meet Flori Marquez, co-founder and SVP of operations at BlockFi, the company on a mission to bridge the worlds of traditional finance and blockchain technology, and in doing so, bring financial empowerment to clients across the globe. Since it launched in 2017, BlockFi has grown to manage over $15 billion in assets, scaled its team to over 500 employees, and was most recently valued at $3 billion. Flori spent her career managing alternative lending products. She helped build, scale, and optimize a $125 million portfolio at Bond Street, which is acquired by Goldman Sachs, and I was fortunate to be an advisor of. As head of portfolio management, she managed all of operations from point of origination through default and litigation. Flori holds a degree from Cornell University and has been named a Forbes 30 under 30, and was selected as a rising star in banking and finance by Cranes. Let's welcome Flori. Hi, Flori. Hey, it's great to be here. So, first, just I want to start from the basics. Go back to 2017 through the beginning of BlockFi, what the mission was, and also just a little bit of getting it off the ground as somebody who really had an early vision in this entire space. Yeah. Back in 2017, it was a very, very different time for crypto,
1: right? There weren't many companies building financial products at the time. As you mentioned, I was at Bond Street and going through an acquisition, and I had already been working, I had worked in traditional finance. And- From the second that I started working in startups, I just had the bug. I love building things, and I was excited to try to continue doing that. So I was in a period where I kind of had a little bit of opportunity to think about what I wanted to do. And at that time, really what I knew how to do was how to build loans. And my co-founder and I realized that there weren't many companies out there that were building financial products for crypto investors, and specifically building financial products with an eye towards existing U.S. regulation and kind of trying to bridge the old world with the new. In 2017, crypto was like the Wild West and people you know, weren't even doing KYC, which is like asking people for their licenses to purchase crypto. So Zach, my co-founder and I realized, all right, what if we went into this space and started building in the traditional way, but applying this new technology, which is crypto assets to financial products. And that's how we came up with our first product, which was a US dollar loan backed by crypto. And I do think we started with our hardest product first. That's like the most (laughs) regulated, complicated, (laughs) like it needs the most risk management, I think out of almost anything that we do. But that was kind of the thesis. I kind of thought about how can I take what I know and apply it to a new space And who is out here that's building the bridge between traditional finance and crypto? And the answer was
0: not many people. BlockFi has been described as Chase Bank for crypto. In plain, plain English, help people understand what that means and give them an example of your products.
1: Yeah, so my favorite product and and the one I like to lead with is an interest account. What we do is try to build things that users know how to use already. So everybody knows how to get interest, right? It's similar to a checking or savings account. But we do it with crypto. So at BlockFi, you can connect your bank account. And if you send us cash, it instantly gets turned into something called a stable coin, which is basically like a US dollar denominated balance. I say it's like a Venmo account. It's not actually cash, but you can turn it into cash whenever you'd like. And you can start earning interest on stable coins or Bitcoin or Ethereum. The stable coin rate right now is 8%. So it's super high. And then what we do is we take those assets that people send to us and we lend those out to institutional investors. And institutional investors borrow those crypto assets to fuel trading strategies and they pay us interest to borrow those. And then we flow that interest back to the retail side of the business. And then once you're on the platform, very similar to any sort of financial product or app, we offer other things. So we allow you to trade, we also allow you to borrow against your crypto, and what we're looking to do is to keep building financial products that are simple and easy to use, and it gets people
0: into this space for the first time. Got it. That was, first of all, incredibly helpful. I have so many places I want to start, but let's just start from you and your co-founder, Zach. Zach. Go back to what it was like being in founder, building something that was really early and that the world still didn't really understand. What was the hardest part? I definitely think that the first
1: six months before we had raised any capital was the hardest part of our entire business because it was brand new. And I think there were a lot of people that told us that the business plan wouldn't work or that they didn't understand it. I think the hardest part there's two sides of it. On one end, you have the regulatory side of it. So if you want to make loans in the U.S., you have to get licenses in certain states. One of the biggest challenges was how do you even build a loan agreement for this type of product? We were working with lawyers who didn't know what crypto was, and I had to teach them for the first time, like, what is this asset and how do you put it into a loan agreement? And then it's one thing to do that for a legal team that's working for you. It's another thing to then take that and go to a regulator and try to Do that learning from the ground up. So on one end, you have the complexity of the regulatory environment in the US and creating these financial products for the first time. And on the other end, it's the huge question of investors, right? What we wanted to do was raise capital the traditional way. In crypto, there's a way to raise funds called an ICO where you can launch a token token we thought that was a little bit too complicated and and risky from a regulatory perspective for us and we thought you know we're already a crypto finance startup we don't need any additional risk and so when we approached vcs there are basically two categories that we could get funds from there's the traditional financial investors and then there was the crypto vcs and the issue was that crypto vcs were not as well versed in financial products and know, a lending portfolio. And the investors that understood lending portfolios and securitizations and the types of products that we were building had not yet ever invested in crypto. So trying to find that sweet spot of how do we bridge this gap when one side doesn't understand the other and we're right in the middle was
0: incredibly difficult. I really can imagine. I want to forward a little bit because now, you know, your first product was obviously, you know, the ability to pay interest on people's crypto assets. Your new product is a credit card product in which consumers will receive Bitcoin instead of airline miles. And it has a waitlist in the thousands. You guys are now at the point where you're on track to hit a million customers. So this is no longer a cute little idea that you and Zach are standing up and getting out, out the door. How have you thought about adding products and as part of that, you know, on that interest product that you have where it's seven to 8% interest, walk us through how you get consumers comfortable that they're not going to lose all their money and what that really looks like. And so walk me through the product strategy and then walk me through, how do you make customers feel comfortable?
1: Yeah. So on the product strategy side, there's two things that we look at on one end. It's who are our current clients and what do they need? And then we look at who's everybody else that's not currently a BlockFi client and what do they need to get on? And that kind of gets to your second question on, on trust. So in the first one, our product strategy, you know, we're an extremely client service, client focused company. So we're looking at every single person that's on our platform, why are they leaving? And the interest account, for example, was a great data source for launching trading, because we noticed that people were withdrawing off the platform. And when we did client surveys, I said, oh, I'm actually taking my funds out because I'm trying to trade my Bitcoin into Ethereum. And then I'm actually depositing it back right with you guys. And so one of the things that I think is extremely important for any financial platform, and you know, this is an investor stickiness. So one of our goals is how can we make sure that we can offer everything that you want to do in one place, and that once you're in BlockFi, you don't have to leave to do anything else. And so that's for current clients. For everybody else that's out there that doesn't use our product, I think that crypto is really scary. (laughs) I think it's complicated. I think the words blockchain and decentralized and DeFi, they confuse people. And so what we try to do is simplify it, right? How can I make this product look like things that you're used to using? And then I can convert you slowly into using crypto and having that become a part of your everyday life. So the credit card is an awesome example where I think it's a lot to ask your parents, hey, why don't you give up $50 and buy Bitcoin? They're going to be like, what? How do I open an account? What do I do? The credit card is amazing because everybody knows in the US how to spend a credit card and get rewards, right? And especially right now, airline miles are less uh, lucrative than they were perhaps a year ago. <laughs> so um, what we're doing is you know, spend your credit card like you do anything else. And instead of getting airline miles, you can now get it, this cool new asset that's crypto, and you can watch it go up in value in your BlockFi account. And it basically converts them into the space by using railways that people are already using every day. So that's how we think about the product strategy, which is, What do people need? Why are they leaving? How can we keep them on the platform? And then for everybody else that's out there, how can I convert you into the space simply? And then in terms of trust, I do think that trust is at the core of everything that we do, right? Our products are not FDIC insured. It's not like a bank account. You are earning interest in a similar way, but it's fundamentally a very different risk profile. And I think that comes down to one of our core values, which is transparency builds trust. And from the beginning, Zach and I have tried to be extremely transparent with everything that we're doing. So I think a lot of things that we've done like getting state-by-state lending licenses, money transmitters licenses, I think the roster of investors in our company helps build a lot of trust. So having names like Fidelity and Susquehanna and Velar and DST and Tiger Capital and these VCs that people recognize I think, signal to our clients, hey, investors have looked at everything that this company is doing, and they're signed off on how they're building things. And then the last thing I think that we've really focused on is, again, client service. So I think a huge game changer for crypto was that we were one of the first companies, and still today, one of the only companies where if you call us, we pick up the phone. And that means that clients all over the world can talk to us and ask us any questions. And I do think that goes a very long way towards building trust.
0: I want to go back to just the crypto space a bit. Bitcoin's at 56,000 today. It's you know soared above 60,000. Can you just walk us through some of your predictions of what you think adoption will look like over the next three to five years? Where do you think Bitcoin's going to soar to? And just give us any way that can help us understand why you're so bullish on the category. Yeah. So I think that in the entire crypto ecosphere, there are people
1: that are on the way extreme end of the crypto spectrum. And I do think of myself as someone who's like a moderate crypto enthusiast. I think I live somewhere in the middle between old and new world. And when there's any huge technological change, I think the people that are closest to it tend to have a bias, which makes them think that society is going to suddenly adopt these products overnight because we see the value and the efficiencies that Blockchain and decentralization can bring. I think that technological change always happens slower than we, the builders, think it will happen. And so I think that crypto is just at the beginning. And even though it's been the Bitcoin, for example, was the best performing asset in the last decade. And I think it um, outperformed the second best, which was the NASDAQ, by a factor of 10x, something crazy. I do think we're gonna continue to see growth because I think about every other person out there today in the US that doesn't own Bitcoin. And I think you're gonna continue to see it in the news. You're gonna continue to see the institutional investors, both on the investment side and on the VC side, getting into this space. And all of that is gonna continue to drive this technology forward. There's a lot of things about blockchain technology today that needs some work. The networks are really inefficient. It's not exactly cheap to send assets from one place to another right now. And so there's a lot of development that still needs to happen. So I think over the next decade, the best forecast I've seen that I like to quote is Guggenheim said that they believe that a single Bitcoin should be worth $400,000 and we're at 55K today. So I think for anyone that's out there who thinks, oh, maybe I missed the boat. It's too late for me to buy crypto or start working in crypto. We're really just at the beginning of a really exciting technological shift in society,
0: and I think it's going to continue to develop over the next decade. Which is crazy. That's still about 8x from where we sit today. So that, that's amazing. So at some point, Bitcoin continues to go up. Adoption continues to go up. You're a moderate. You don't think tomorrow it's you know going to be in everyone's wallet. What is the world that you can see that's so obvious being a co-founder of BlockFi, where you can just see better efficiencies What's it going to feel like when crypto begins to become ubiquitous, truly? So not just a sixth of America, which is roughly where we are today, but let's say 100% of America, 100% of the globe. How is that going to change the way we walk through life every day? What will that look and feel like, or will it not look any differently? So to tie it all
1: back to Chase, I think I like to use concrete examples that people can understand. So what blockchain technology does is it allows us to send assets and information more efficiently than ever before. And there's one thing about Chase that kills me that does not make any sense. And that's if you have a Chase checking account and you have a Chase credit card and you make a payment from your checking account to your credit card, the money leaves your checking account instantly, but it doesn't pay down your credit card for almost two days. And that makes no sense to me because they have all of my money. They know where I'm sending it. That should be instant based on the technology that we have today. So what it will feel like if blockchain technology continues to exist and develop in a way that um, society and companies invest in and adopt is information and assets will move much more efficiently. So you'll be able to withdraw from your Venmo account to your Chase account and get that cash instantly you'll be able to make payments from any bank account to any credit card, and hopefully have that settle instantly. It really gets rid of any time lag as a result of information not being shared across companies or within a company. I think the biggest impact, and one thing that we have to be mindful of is, in the US, we give for granted the fact that we have access to financial products you know, if you want to open a credit card, you have 10 different options. You have your starter credit card. If you want to build up your credit score, you have, you know, once you've done that, you can get like the Chase Sapphire and get like the best rewards. In the rest of the world, people struggle to get access to something as simple as a savings account where they know they can get their assets out. People don't have access to interest. And many currencies government-backed currencies are unstable. And they are countries that go through things like hyperinflation, which means that every day that you have savings, your money is worth less and less. And I think the biggest change is going to be on a global scale, where I think you're going to see easier access to financial systems that are secure and easier access, hopefully, to financial products allowing individuals in other countries to get the same economic stability that we get in the U.S.
0: Who do you think of as BlockFi's competitors today? Who would you say are really the the companies in the space that you guys think about and maybe even globally? Yeah, so I think it's shifted over time. When we first
1: started and we only had the crypto lending bucket, crypto lending product, I think we were in the first bucket of three. So initially, our other competitors were smaller crypto startups that maybe only offered one product. I think we've transitioned now to the second bucket, which is large crypto institutions that have some products that overlap with what we're doing. And I think that's more similar to a Coinbase, right? Like who's out there convincing people to buy crypto for the first time. And I think the third bucket that we'll transition to over time is actually traditional financial platforms. As we continue to grow, I do think we'll look more like other apps that are available in your phone that allow you to manage your wealth more broadly. And I do think that BlockFi's journey is to transition, you know, from bucket one, the tiny crypto startup, all the way to traditional fintech in the US.
0: Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Did you always know you were a founder? What like was the light bulb that went off where you're like, I'm going to go start a company slash was that always there if we go back to you as a child? So I joke that
1: I started out my entrepreneurial career when I was five because I learned Spanish first. My parents are from Argentina. And they just sent me to kindergarten, not knowing a word of English. And they're like, all right, just figure it out on the fly. (laughs) I think that experience is very similar to building a company where it's like, you have no idea what's (laughs) going on. You don't speak the language. You're just going to figure it out as you go along. I never thought that I would start a company when I was 25 years old. I definitely thought that I was going to spend more time acquiring more industry experience and understanding more about like the VC landscape or managing a team. The first six months that I started BlockFi, I actually felt really uncomfortable calling myself a founder because it felt not real, right? It was just me and Zach making things up. You know, it felt a little bit like imposter syndrome. I don't think you really become a founder or believe that you are a founder until you've done it for long enough for it to feel real. And I think, you know, it's the most fun job and rewarding job in the world, and I my dream is that everybody that works at Blockfire or anyone that I come in contact with, that I can make this more accessible for, that I can help be the bridge for other people to do the same thing that I've been able to do.
0: A big part of your passion on serving the unbanked comes from witnessing your parents, you know, your family in Argentina cope with economic instability. And obviously Argentina has had a really interesting decade. Talk a little bit about the connection of your own personal history to, to the future of the business. Yeah. So
1: all of my family is in Argentina besides my parents and siblings. So growing up, I was going down there once every year, every other year. And for context on their economy, when I used to go as a child, the exchange rate from the peso to the dollar used to be one to two. The last time that I went down there right before COVID, the exchange rate was one to 85. So to contextualize like if you think about like your own purchasing power and what any individual that was just holding on to that currency for that amount of time lost it's a lot and i think life down there is extremely difficult most people don't have savings and they're just existing week to week trying to make sure that they have enough cash to pay for gas to get to work and i think at the core of that is an unstable currency, and a banking system that individual users can't rely on. As an Argentinian citizen, if you open a bank account, you're not certain that you can get your $1,000 back that have been sitting there and might be your life savings. So what that leaves people with is storing generally U.S. dollars around their apartment. And (laughs) that's not great. My grandmother, for example, was storing cash around her apartment and as she was getting older and older she started forgetting <laughs> her secret hiding spots i've always been interested in how can we bring parity to the rest of the world how can i give individuals the same access to financial security that i have and i think there's definitely ways to do it with microfinance where maybe i thought about you know build a specific startup that just targets this market but i actually you know really Believe that in order to make an impact, you have to be big. So instead, I was like thinking, well, why don't I just build a big company with an excellent working business model that services everyone in the US and abroad and just make it a value that we
0: do one price for all? I want to just quickly shift to you as a founder. As a founder, we all get so much advice. You've gotten, I'm sure, oodles of advice. What's the one thing that surprised you about being a founder? What's the thing that maybe was the hardest or the thing that nobody advised you on or the thing that people did give you advice on, but it was the most true and the hardest? Yeah, I think one like mantra that has served me the most
1: is that there's always more to learn. Just because you've built something and you've gotten it right up until today, doesn't mean that there's not other things that you could be doing to develop yourself as a leader other things that maybe blind spots that you haven't identified before as an individual or for your company. And so I think keeping an open mindset and um, it's actually one of our values to go back to it again, um, that we're always students and sometimes teachers and to just make sure to continue to get feedback because when you're starting a company, you don't have an official boss, right? And so you have to rely on advisors such as yourself or mentors who can come in and help you continue that professional and personal development. I think a lot of times maybe leaders figure it out and they, they forget the human aspect. And I think it's served me very well to keep that open mindset of what else could I be doing? What else could I be learning? What am I not seeing about myself that I could do better?
0: Flori, one of the things I know that as, you know, as I was growing and I also was 23 when I founded Learnvest and um, 30 when we exited it. So much of it is about you getting better and you staying sane and mentally fit. What are your tricks or hacks? You know, is it sleep? Is it exercise? Is it meditation? But what's the thing or two that you swear by? I
1: wish that I could say. I think aspiring towards healthy boundaries with work is a good. Um, <laughs> it's a good aspiration to have. But the reality is, if you're running a business, you're not going to have many boundaries. It's always there. It's always on your mind. It's there when you go to sleep. It's there when you wake up. It can wake up in the middle of the night. (laughs) It can wake up on a weekend. You're always on. So I think one of the things that have kept me sane is being able to identify the moments when you can rest. Maybe that's right after a fundraise or right after a product launch and kind of being shameless about taking that break. I do think that in order to do the best work myself, my team, we all need space to come back to it with a fresh mind and to remember that it's a marathon, not a sprint. There's a lot of times that are really intense that need my full focus and being able to identify what are the moments where I can rest and making sure to really take those opportunities has definitely, I think, kept me going four years strong. And then personally, I do think that keeping your mind, body and relationships in a great place and making sure to carve out time to invest in those three things in whatever way works for you. So I love swimming. I have a trainer. I also really believe in therapy. I think, you know, that really helps with setting your own boundaries and checking in with yourself. And then lastly, definitely investing in your own personal relationships when you're starting a company, you have a lot less time. And so making sure that you're keeping your friendships and partners healthy and happy and you're checking in with them is much more important than ever before, because those are the people that are going to stand by you when things get tough.
0: I want to transition to the quick fire round. This is easy. First question, first thought, whatever comes to your head, just spit it out. What's been the biggest pinch me moment so far at BlockFi that you like truly called your family and said, wow, I can't believe this just happened. What was it?
1: I do think two things. One is the series A, just getting that first big term sheet and realizing like, wow, we have a chance to actually build a business. And with that, the first time I set up health insurance for my employees, I know it's very nerdy, but that moment where I realized that my company was going to provide health insurance for someone's kids and that that was benefiting a family, it was surreal.
0: Okay. What gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: Well, two things. One, I have set appointments. I have a Zoom trainer (laughs) through COVID and I don't think I would actually be getting out to work out if I didn't have that, you know, actual meeting on my calendar that I had to meet. But I do think what I love most about my job is just the unexpectedness. Like I love waking up every day and not knowing what's going to hit me. Like what's today's problem? What are we solving? Is it going to be a regular day? Is something going to pop up that I didn't even think was going to pop up? It's just exciting. And I think my job changes Every three months, I would say it feels like I have an entirely different team and set of responsibilities. And it's that constant learning and constant change and keeping me on my toes that keeps me motivated.
0: I want to just quickly fast forward. So, two years, how many days a week are we in an office? I think two to three days max.
1: I don't think we're ever going back to what we were doing before. I think people love working from home. And I've always believed that if you hire good employees, people are going to do great work and it doesn't matter where they are because they feel responsible and they want to make an impact. I also, I mean, this is a little unconventional, but if you work better with like Netflix in the background, who am I to stop you,
0: right? I'm at three. So we're very much aligned on that. Other than BlockFi, what's one other startup that we should all know about? So I was part of an accelerator program with this app
1: called Beam that helps donate money to nonprofits. It's also female
0: founded. So Huge fan of them, would love to support them. I do think everybody should know about it. That's awesome. I love that you're paying it forward. Through COVID, a new habit you adopted. I actually have stopped wearing makeup. (laughs) I mean, I know I have it on now for this, but it's
1: been so much better for my skin uh, and also taking walks with my dog during the day. I think, you know, with COVID, it's so easy to have meeting after meeting and not take those breaks where you can clear your mind. So being able to like accept, hey, I'm working from home. So like, what are the benefits of being able to be with things that I normally wouldn't have around? And I think I live right by the park, getting him off leash and (laughs) watching him run around is like a great break. Hardest part of being a founder? I think it's being asked to solve questions that sometimes feel out of your depth. So I think, you know, Being thrown into a situation like maybe crisis communications where something happened and all of a sudden I'm running PR. And I have no idea what the right timing or language should be, but I can do quick research, talk to the people that I know. And sometimes I get thrown into situations where I'll even ask my mentor who's founded multiple companies, Hey, have you ever been in this situation? How do you solve it? And multiple times he's been like, No, I actually haven't, but we can brainstorm. And I think there's moments where I think everyone questions themselves, like, can I really do this? Can I solve this problem? And when I look back on it and I see whatever we came up with and whatever worked, I'm always impressed. But I think that one moment where it hits you, where you don't know the answer to the question, that can be very daunting.
0: Last thing, what makes you optimistic? I think I just fundamentally believe
1: that people are good. <laughs> I I just, I was about to finish your sentence for you. I could like feel it coming. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I just believe in teams. And I think that's the most rewarding part of my job is watching people grow and watching what happens to human beings when you give them the space to innovate and give them responsibility that nobody's had before just working together as a team and getting that energy of building things together is, is unlike anything else. And I do think it every day, I think reinforces my belief that people just wanna do good work.
0: Flori, what a sincere pleasure to have you today. Thank you so much. And everybody out there listening, if you haven't already checked out BlockFi, head to blockfi.com and you can join us next week for Inks, the Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'll be right here. Thank you so much, Flori, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, this was fun.